I'm visiting all 30 stadiums in one season to uncover the hidden stories that make baseball America's pastime. Rounding third with Manish Jane. Welcome everybody to another edition of Rounding Third with Manish Jane. As I'm sure you can tell from our episode title, this is the New York Mets edition, City Field. City Field was actually the first stadium on my tour, so this was a very exciting experience for me. Uh, I'm going to keep my part short and sweet because i got a great interview lined up for you, but I want to give you a brief history about the New York Mets and their residences in the different stadiums. In 1962 and 1963, they played their home games at the Polo Grounds in Upper Manhattan before relocating to Queens and Shea Stadium. They played in Shea Stadium for 45 years. That's really how we all know the New York Mets as playing in Shea Stadium. But in 2009, they moved their legacy over to City Field, and that's where they reside today. See, I told you it was going to be short and sweet. As this podcast continues, you're going to be hearing a little bit more from me and my experiences traveling the country this summer. But for this episode, I've got a really special one-hour interview with Mets author Matthew Silverman. Matt was gracious enough to sit down with me and tell me some of the history of City Field and his experience going to the ballpark as a kid and now as an adult with children of his own. But before we get to that, I wanted to include a brief snippet of an interview I did with a gentleman named Brian outside of City Field. My first game was unfortunately rain-delayed for an hour and 45 minutes. I was a little bit nervous that the game was going to get canceled and all of a sudden my dream of visiting all 30 ballparks in one season was going to be over before it even started. Luckily, the skies cleared up, and we were able to catch a great game with the Mets winning walk-off style in the bottom of the ninth, getting three consecutive base hits off of Mariano Rivera. But to find out more about that, you can check out the blog at roundingthird.net. So before the game, I ended up chatting with several fans in and around City Field. I actually ended up finding a lot of Yankee fans, some Red Sox fans, and just fans of baseball in general. But I did speak to a gentleman named Brian, who's a diehard Mets fan, completely covered in Mets gear, has been going to City Field for the last 15 years, and he told me a couple of great anecdotes about his experience coming to City Field. So please enjoy my very brief interview with Brian, and that will lead into my longer interview with the great Matt Silverman. So I'm here with Brian right now, and you are a lifelong Met fan. After meeting these nice people that are sitting next to him who are fake Met fans with <laughs> Mets gear on, but apparently we got a Yankee fan and a Red Sox fan wearing Mets gear, so City Field's a weird place. So, Brian, you got to let me know how long you've been a Mets fan for. Since I was a teenager, honestly, 1998 when Piazza joined them, leaving the Dodgers and Marlins fondly, and... Uh, that being said, I haven't looked back ever since. I'm, I'm not a Fairweather fan whatsoever just because Bobby Valentine was fired. I've been through thick and thin, blood, sweat, and tears. More tears than sweat yeah, over, the last, right. over the last few years. But I wouldn't become a Yankees fan for A-Rod's big, fat, undeserving contract. <laughs> if it was right in my face right now, I would, I would, you don't want to imagine what I would do with it. So when was your first uh, visit here to City Field? Mother's Day 2009. Though my mother couldn't make it, I was with a bunch of other friends and made many more friends. I make new alliances, whether enemy or, or ally, wherever I go. Heck, I've been to other ballparks as well. Well, the only ballpark I've been to outside New York is uh, 
in Philadelphia, where we lost 11 nothing, but they they dish it out, but couldn't take it from me. Though we got killed 11 nothing in Philadelphia, those those fans so fair weather. The majority of them are not even from Philly. Begin with in Philly, but enough about them. It's all about us. <laughs> exactly. So basically, what I'm what I'm looking for is what you said right there. You make new friends every time you come to a ballpark. I love the ballpark. I've been going to it since I was a little kid. So, what is your favorite ballpark experience? When either you met some new people or you came with your friends, or just tell me some some fun experiences you've had at City Field here. Well, truthfully, the first time I ever went to a game was with my old man, fireworks night of 05, Willie Randolph, who's a Jersey native, Franklin Lakes, of it was fireworks night of a day or two before Independence Day. It was just a perfect evening. How many people remember that Braden Blooper Looper was the closer before their incredible season of 06? I do. Reading's fundamental, they say. I've read lots of books of their accomplishments from the 80s and 70s and 60s. And I don't know just good Mets trivia is not all I know. I know lots of trivia, baseball in general. I'm a baseball nut. You know, and that's, you know, speaking of books, I'm going to have Matthew Silverman. Uh, he's a great Met author. He's written eight books about the New York Mets. I'm going to have him on the podcast in a couple of days here. So uh, I'll uh, make sure I let him know that you're a big fan of his work. I love his books. I have a bunch of them. He has an annual uh, guide every year as well. I still, uh, he's going to, sh I hope he, I have to pick up this year's edition because it's not, easy being a Mets fan with such little merchandise in my area because of the Steinbrenner empire, God bless. No, I understand. Hi, right, Brian. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. After talking to Brian for a couple of minutes, they finally opened the gates and let us in. Unfortunately, the game was delayed for an hour and 45 minutes, but that gave me plenty of time to walk around the stadium and really soak everything in. Unfortunately, because of the weather, the dunking booth and the batting cages were closed before game time, so I just went around and ate something from a couple of the different food stands. I really am going to gain a lot of weight on this tour. And now it's time for the interview that you've all been patiently waiting for with my guest, Matt Silverman. Before we get to that, I just want to really quickly thank Blake White for the beautiful theme song that he composed for me, as well as Icarus Ronan for the wonderful job he did with my website, and Krishna Jain for his amazing job as photo editor. So now, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Silverman. I'm with noted author Matthew Silverman, but more notably, a hardcore Mets fan. Thank you so much for joining me today, Matt. Well, thanks for having me on, Manisha. I, um, I was thinking about you said you were going to Baltimore to start off this trip, and uh, it made me think that in 1992, after I left a newspaper job and a friend of mine was going to grad school, we, we uh, embarked on a, um, a very my, a much smaller quest that was mostly in the Midwest, but our first stop was in Baltimore um, to get, uh, and getting tickets at Camden Yards that year was uh, like, you know, was like getting uh, tickets to the Grateful Dead at the, at the height of their uh, power. Yeah, I can imagine. I um, I've I've been to Camden before. Uh, I used to live in D.C., so I had season tickets to them. But that was in the mid two thousands during the Miguel Tejada year. So I can't imagine how raucous it was in the uh, early nineties. Because because uh, mid two thousands, they unfortunately weren't that strong of a team. So the only time they would sell out is when the Red Sox or the Yankees would come to town. But I'm definitely looking forward to checking out Camden again to see that entire place going nuts. It's a beautiful, beautiful park. 
It, it is. That was actually, I, I, um, I went to school with a bunch of people from Maryland and I'm hoping to get down to Camden Yards later this year. Uh, I have not been there. I don't think in about 10 years, but, um, I had good friends that lived there and we used to go every year, uh, probably for the first 10 years of its life. And it was always, uh, you know, a lot of fun. It's a, it's not that far of a road trip as is, but it's pretty obvious when you see how many Yankees fans are there, whenever the Yankees play there, um, but it's, and it's a, it's a great ballpark of all the new ballparks they built since it's went it went up, you know, 20, uh, 21 years ago. Uh, I still think it's just about as good as any, maybe, you know, San Francisco as, and, and you'll experience this yourself, uh, is the one I thought was the new, you know, the only new one that I thought was as good as that, but I have not been to San Diego, which I've heard a lot of good things about as well. Well, that obviously is something that I'm very much looking forward to just, I mean, I've been to a handful of ballparks already just throughout my life. And that's one of those things you hear people talk about how amazing Camden Yards is. And you're kind of like, ah, it can't be that great. And, and since everyone's saying it, it just seems like that, that obvious answer, but yeah, so far at least it is the best park that I've ever been to in my entire life. Now there's still, you know, at this point, there's there's about 20 more that I've got to uh, hit up to for the first time. So by August 30th, I should have a more comprehensive answer to what I believe, at least, the best park in the country is. Yeah, there's uh, th- there's um, and some of them have, have changed a little bit and some of them are still uh, very much the same. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, I was talking with a brother in law of mine today who's from Chicago and of all the craziness that going on with their ballpark, as if they would, as if they would actually move the team out of Wrigley. It's like, hello, <laughs> you know, they haven't. They've won one World Series or two World Series if you want to get technical in the last hundred and five years or so. I think it's the ballpark is really helping bring people in there because the team, you know, makes the Mets look like they're the most successful franchise uh, in the National League. Well, that is one of those ballparks that obviously people non-baseball fans know about Yankee Stadium. They know about Fenway, but Wrigley Field is the only ballpark that I know of, at least, where non-baseball fans genuinely want to go and have a good time. So, yeah, I mean, if they don't have a good ball club, at least they can invite people in to have drinks and have a party. Yeah, there's there's no shortage of uh, of party stuff going on. My brothers went to Northwestern, and they were not into baseball really at all, and they used to arrange their schedule in order to go to Cubs games uh, during what I guess what you'd call the, the Bill Buckner, Dave Kingman era um, when the team was, you know, was good, but nothing uh, spectacular, but it was, uh, you know, it was the place to be. And then back then they were still had all day games. And I was lucky enough to go um, a couple of times uh, before they uh, before they had lights, which was uh, which was very cool. And, uh, you know, I haven't been to Wrigley in, jeez, uh, I don't think I've been in like 10 or 12 years, but it's still one of, uh, you know, the best places. And, and that's one of the things about the trip that I'm excited for you for is that you, you know, you see these things on TV when they're playing, but you really don't have any idea how good it is until you're there. You know, uh, that, that you, you don't get the full appreciate appreciation of the ballpark until you're there. Like Houston, I remember going and I wasn't really that excited about it. And then when I went there, I was like, wow, you know, this play, I'd never been to a game where the, where the roof was over me while the game was going on. And that kind of depressed me a little bit. 
But, you know, when you're in Houston and it's 98 degrees with 99% humidity, you're like, you know, maybe this isn't a bad thing at all. Well, and to be and, honest with you, I know this might be sacrilege, but I'm, I'm, there's, there's a small part of me that's hoping that – because I've never been inside of a domed stadium. I've never in my life watched a baseball game with a roof over my head. And so there's a tiny part of me that is hoping that at least one of the dome parks does close the roof at least for maybe even half the game that I'm going to. Because I think as much as I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to hate it, but I feel like that's a unique experience that I would like to take part in. You know, I, I've never I, it's going to be weird to look up and not see the sky for a pop up. I don't understand how some of these ballplayers do it. Well, in Arizona, I'm uh, I'm sure that it'll definitely uh, come up uh, unless you're you know, unless there's, there's some kind of freakish day where it's not one hundred and two degrees. <laughs> and uh, in Tampa, it'll definitely happen, too. So I think uh, that those are definitely on your uh, your radar there. But to go back oh, to what you're talking fun. about, as far as watching ball games live, to be honest, you you know, unknowingly there, you just hit the nail on the head of exactly why I wanted to do this tour to begin with is that there is such a stark difference between watching television, watching it at a bar, watching it. I know some cities, they'll rent out movie theaters. You watch big games at a movie theater and that's nice. And that kind of tries to recreate the experience. But honestly, when you, when you go to a ball game and you actually sit in the stands next to 15, 20, 30, 40,000 other people, and you can see the nooks and crannies of the stadium that, you know, the cameras can't really catch. It is really a, a beautiful, beautiful experience. So uh, the, the, where I wanted to start it was, um, what exactly is your first baseball memory of going to an actual game? Not on television, but your first baseball memory going to a game. Well, I actually have a good story with that because it, um, I got into baseball when um, the Mets and Yankees were both playing at Shea Stadium. And... We kind of went with our camp, um, but it was it was almost like a you know a drunk a sh- drunken Shanghai where I don't even remember what I all I remember is that we had really bad seats like in the mezzanine. I'm assuming the Yankees played because everyone was a Yankees fan, but I I didn't pay any attention. I wasn't in a baseball. But the next year I went and um, my dad got tickets for Old Timers Day at Yankee Stadium, and so the Yankees played uh, the Indians at Yankee Stadium with the DH and with Frank Robinson managing the team, which was a big uh, you know thing. He was the first uh, African-American manager. And also that day, which I also didn't realize until years later, Billy Martin was announced as the manager, and he took over like that day. He, wow. No one knew it. And they had he had just been fired, yeah. I guess, by Texas. And they had, he had said uh, the heck with this and gone fishing in Colorado and a Yankee scout went and dug him out of uh, some trout stream in, in, in Colorado, brought him to Yankee stadium. And this is while the, George Steinbrenner was still uh, technically uh, suspended. So they had to do this all on, on the, uh, on the down low. And it wasn't announced that he was the Yankees manager until that, that old timers day when they, you know, announced and the new manager of the Yankees, you know, because they brought uh, <laughs> Bob Shepard over to Shea Stadium as well. Um, that 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 was the first game. And Boog Powell, who was at the end of his career with the um, with the Indians, back when a guy that weighed like two fifty was considered just gigantic. Yeah. You know, it looked like it did not look like this big muscular guy. I saw this guy pitching for the Dodgers the other day, weighed three hundred and five pounds. That didn't look half as big as Boog Powell did. And he he had a home run right down the right field line at um, at Shea for the first home run I saw, and the Yankees won that game uh, by a run. 
And uh, but later, uh, maybe a few weeks later, my dad took me to my first Mets game there. And uh, that was, um, you know, uh, even though it was the day after, a, you know, a Friday night doubleheader, a twilight night doubleheader, which is you know completely unheard of now. And it was on the schedule. I, I went back and checked it, that it was actually on the schedule. So we had the Saturday kind of um, uh, everybody's getting a rest day with guys like Gene Kleins out there and Jack Heideman and uh, ended up um, the Mets pulled that out and beat the uh, San Francisco Giants uh, and Pete Falcone, who later ended up being a Mets pitcher. And uh, and uh, to complete the 1975 uh, walkthrough, I went to the last game uh, at Shea where the, um, of the year um, that year as well. Uh, Steve Carlton against uh, John Madelak, two pitchers who would now be making like one, you know, Madelak would be making 15 mil and Carlton would be making 25 mil at, you know, at that point in their careers. That is fantastic. That is, that is incredible. That is, that is one hell of a year to uh, start off your, your, your baseball fandom. Um, but so you, you, you started as a Met fan. Is that something that you got from your father or, or why the Mets? I just sort of, uh, became a Mets fan. I, it was, um, we had, uh, I went to Iona Grammar School in New Rochelle, which was a very all boys Catholic school, you know, so baseball was a really big thing. I was not into baseball or any sport at all. And I'm just kind of doodling and not really paying any attention. And they had, um, it's opening day of 1975. And they say, we want to watch the Yankees game or the Mets game. And the Mets had won the pennant a couple of years before, uh, swinging 73 points out. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's a couple of years later, Catfish Hunter, I think this is his first start with the Yankees. Tom Seaver's pitching for the Mets, and they're both on at the exact same time. Um, and the Mets are playing, uh, I think the Mets are playing at home. And they, uh, he said, you know, we've got 16 to 16. Uh, who, you know, Matt, give us a, you didn't vote. Who, which do you want? And I just looked at the people on one side. We're Yankees fans are looking on the people on the other side are Mets fans and I and I said Mets. <laughs> and you know, it was really that simple a thing, but um I I was into the Mets at, uh, from that point on and uh you know was on a really advanced course of study with the whole thing and was very lucky that I you know the Seaver won the Cy Young Award that year and it was um you know Mets ended up in third place as I think the Yankees did. Uh but you know, just kind of I missed the 73 playoffs and, and most of that stuff. But I, but to chime in that year, at least was a unique year with uh, both teams playing at Shea and the, actually the Yankee, um, the giants and the jets also played there uh, that year as well. I think they had, uh, there was something like 173 um, games between the four sports played at Shea that year. Wow. That and is... I saw three of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about the Giants and the Jets playing there. I knew the Yankees and the Mets did, but that's wow, that's a scheduling the, yeah, the nightmare. Giants, actually, because I, 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 I did an article about this uh, a couple of years ago, and I looked into it, and the Giants act there was it was so crammed. The Giants actually played a bunch of Saturday afternoon games at a time where there were not Saturday right. games at all, uh, just because they there was no it, because also the Mets were the main tenant. So the Jets, no, there's no football game allowed there until baseball season was over. Oh, and, okay. Well, that's good at least. Yeah, because I was just uh, I was just at Yankee Stadium last night, and uh, they I guess they had a soccer game uh, over, mm-hmm. over the weekend there. So the field actually still had the you could still see the lines, and then uh, you could basically see the imprint of the of the soccer field. Which I mean, look, I I don't I, I'm not 
a Yankee fan and, and so Yankee Stadium and, and this is the new Yankee Stadium, not the old one. But to me, that was almost kind of sacrilege. It kind of felt weird to me to see the New York Yankees on a baseball field that kind of looked like a soccer field. I, I don't know why they allowed that to happen. Well, you know, and to be honest, um, that's one of the things that bothers me because as much as I like ballparks and all this other stuff, I do think that building separate ballparks for baseball and football is a colossal waste of money. I understand why they do it um, because someone will do it for them. But I think it is uh, having separate ones for something that plays eight times a year just seems like it's, you know, in, in most of these cities where, where the schools are could really use an extra you know, few hundred million <laughs> pumped into their uh, systems or, or local government or whatever. And, uh, you know, I just, that's one thing I don't like about the news, especially with football where you can play football anywhere. It doesn't even matter that as long as you get a hundred, a hundred yards in there. Um, that I, I that I, it annoys me when they they say we have to have all these separate stadiums and then they bring all these extra sports in there. It's like, well, you just conned everybody into throwing all this money at you so that there would you know you wouldn't sacrilege a baseball field with football. But you know if we can get a college football game in there like the Yankees do and the Mets have tried to do and uh, soccer games and you know I'm sure they'll get lacrosse in there and 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 things like that too. It's like, well, then why did we build this baseball only stadium that that, you know, that the the city doesn't get the money for like they used to with the Giants and the Jets? The uh, the team gets most of that money. It just seems uh, rather disingenuous to me. I'm not going to lie. I honestly think that right now in that moment, you just changed my mind about something that I've thought for many, many years. <laughs> I think I may completely agree with you right now. I don't think I put in as much thought into this as I should have, but you're right, especially since it is private companies now that are basically, they're, they're you know, taking the tax dollars and building the, you know, the ballpark and they're keeping all that money. You're right. We should have kind of multi-purpose uh, stadiums. Well, they're even talking about the one at Willits Point to put it in there. It's like, well, the Mets don't play. They don't play that many soccer games. It's crazy. If you can get Israel and Honduras playing there, why can't you jam a few games in there when the, uh, you know, the Mets are out of town? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, uh, uh, who I guess he just graduated from uh, NYU and they did their, their graduation there at Yankee stadium. But even that is something that I'm not sure if that's, uh, if that's something that they, they paid the stadium to do or who exactly is paying for that and who, who gets the money out of that. But yeah, I guess that they should start using these for, for, more than just one sport. Yeah, yeah, I really think you, honestly, you you just made a very good point that changed my mind. You stopped me right there. I was all ready to go off on a rant and, and you just completely screwed up my entire train of thought. So I'm going to have to well, I'm, I'm glad. I, 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 that's one of the things I do like about the Jets and Giants stadium is that they're at least doubling up on it because having two stadiums for two football teams, uh, unless you're going to have one, you know, maybe if you had one on Long Island or serving a whole different area, that's one consideration. But if you're going to open two stadiums in New Jersey, no, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Well, when it comes to, to football and, and, and basketball and, and, and hockey to a certain extent, like you said, it, it honest to God does not matter where those are made. Obviously, baseball is a little bit different, you know, just because of the uniqueness of the dimensions of all the fields and kind of all that. You can't really have two teams playing in the same. I mean, you could, but it'd be it'd be a little bit different. But I'm I'm curious to see if because uh, I know that that out in. You know, every, every couple of years they talk about L.A. getting another football team or, you know, they're, they're always all these relocating. It'd be curious for for more sport, more sports to, to share their stadiums. It would be it. You know, I don't think you know, they, they make it seem like sacrilege. But the um, when I first started following baseball, 
all this. I mean, it was weird when you had a stadium that didn't have both of them. And then the only time that happened was when you had like Buffalo or some other team uh, that didn't have a baseball and a football team. It well, was you know, like Soldier Field in Chicago was one of the few ones that did that wasn't a double up and the and bears and cubs have played at Wrigley Field forever. Well I think it's because you got you got dummies like me who buy into the hype of Sa- I think that's why. You've got you got you know it's it's people with my mentality of basically yeah the, the, uh, holding the the stadiums up with such high regard and and not you know remembering that wait a minute I'm not getting any money out of this and I'm paying actually for these stadiums to exist and they're kind of screwing me. So yeah, I I just bought into the hype and I think there's too many other people that are like me out there. I mean, some of I've been to a few football stadiums and used to kind of go out of my way to go to some of them. I kind of stopped that over the years, but the one that I did go to that I would, that I would say was worth all the effort was uh, Lambeau field was, uh, was one of those where you, where most of the football stadiums, you can see, where the you know they like the portals are that suck your money out, but at yeah. Lambeau Field you actually you know you're in it, it's like being in the Rose Bowl, which is another great stadium, uh, you know another great football stadium that is different than being at pretty much any other stadium I've been to. It's got a big bowl. You can see how people just came and sat there. You know some of those places don't even have seat backs and everything. And that is one that is that is like you know you it's almost like you're genuflecting walking up to it. But I haven't been to any other football stadium, you know, that that um, that I felt that way. I do like the Cardinals football stadium, the old one uh, at the Sun Devil Stadium, which I've, I, I go back to Arizona. I'm a Cardinals fan, actually, and I have my relatives that live out there. And uh, I still go out there for the bowl games every other year. And I still think that's one of my favorite stadiums because it's unique. It's a college atmosphere in an NFL town. But, you know, I can also understand that the team was not going to thrive there because it's just too darn hot oh, yeah. uh, until October. And even then, it's still pretty, it can get pretty hot. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're a pretty big sports fan in general, but baseball is is kind of the one that, that stands out above the rest. Is that something that, that grew over time, or was baseball always number one? Well, I, I do have a um, – I've actually worked on a number of football books, uh, and actually that, that was my entree into um, – the field of publishing was I got hooked up with all these baseball people. They had tons of people to write baseball. They didn't know, have anybody that knew anything about football. I didn't, you know, I didn't know any much more about football than having played electric football and watching TV uh, games on TV and used to go to the jets games a lot. Um, but uh, I, that, that was how I got my uh, uh, introduction into, into the field. Cause there weren't that many people doing it. And um it's always great when you get a new partner in these things because they don't understand that football history, the people, uh, people don't care about. Uh-uh. So you usually get like a really great deal. The first time through we did total football, they paid us all NFL paid all kinds of money and there was all kinds of publicity. And then they realized that the men don't care about it. If it wasn't for the women buying the books. There wouldn't be anything. Uh, so I do. And I still do a lot of, uh, I still do some football historical stuff but it's um it's not something that's that big of a deal and and to be honest i would rather watch a, one of my favorite uh, pet uh, uh procrastinating tools uh, especially when i was working on the 1973 book would be to just say well i'm going to just watch this you know look up a youtube uh this is the nfl which i actually liked more than the games where they used to give you a 5 minute recap of every game and i would watch one of those 
uh, just to kind of get get my head get you know back going in you know say seventy three because those are all like little time capsules and I love uh, stuff like that. Whereas NFL now, you know, I can I can live without you know until the playoffs come. I don't uh, you know I, I, to be honest until baseball season ends, it's hard for me to get that excited about football. And then eventually, by uh, I'm all geared up just like everybody else by the time the uh, Super Bowl comes and then the season's over. No, I'm pretty much the same way. It's impossible for me to really get excited about anything other than baseball during the baseball season. It it, it takes up too much of my uh, attention. But 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 to what you're talking about, no one caring about football or as far as history in football, that's always been fascinating to me because you know hockey really nobody cares about the history. Football nobody certainly cares. Basketball, I mean, people care about. The immediate history, mainly like the 80s, you know, 70s and 80s basketball kind of. But going back any earlier than that, no one really seems to care. You've written a couple of books, um, uh, the By the Numbers books. I think you did one for the Red Sox, the Mets, and the Cubs, I believe. Yes. So what is so numbers is a big part of baseball. Obviously, we've got the new sabermetrics nonsense that's going on. Not nonsense, but <laughs> it's it's new sabermetrics kind Keith of. Keith Hernandez says it's nonsense. Say it again? <laughs> Keith Hernandez says it's nonsense. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of <laughs> look, I I'm too young to be curmudgeonly about sabermetrics, but I am kind of an old man when it comes to I've always kind of said that the reason when I was a kid that I liked math class is because I liked baseball. I didn't like baseball because I liked math class. It's it's I can do the basic statistics and I enjoy, you know, even look, I'll, I'll give them like whip whip is a nice, you know, little stat that they that just was uh, recently invented. And but some like if anybody can actually explain war to me and do it without giving me a dissertation, maybe I'll get on board. But war makes absolutely no sense to me. But anyway, that's that's a whole other day. But with the with the numbers, I'm curious, you know, when you look at football numbers or or the numbers in football not just the records but just the statistical history of football why do you think it is that that people just don't seem to really gravitate towards it nearly as much as they do for baseball because i mean now football does have you know 50 60 year history it's now starting to get a little bit of of uh, history to it it has it actually has a great history it's really kind of rollicking like a floating crap game like the early years the nfl i mean it's so many really talented college players including the guy who won the first Heisman trophy refused to play in the NFL cuz it was such a fly by night uh, endeavor um you know would rather sell bonds and and uh, you know you nobody would nobody would possibly think about doing that now and uh, it was really um there's many people through the 50s that wouldn't play in the NFL because it just didn't it, it didn't seem like a, a good career, a smart career. Plus, there's a lot of injury, uh, but it has an amazing um, history. And it's actually I always think that uh, um, uh, that it's about 50 years behind baseball chronologically, which makes it a little more fun because when baseball was doing all this stuff in the 1870s, which is kind of beyond what really anybody's mind can get around yeah. for the most part that's around today. The 1920s, you know, you can read the great Gatsby. You can get, you can kind of get into that whole thing and the, and the, you know, the roaring twenties and they were th just throwing this league together, teams jumping up, coming down. And it just has a really intriguing history. The Cleveland Rams win uh, after they had been, they had gone out of existence uh, during world war two because they didn't have enough players and, and the guy who owned the team wanted to join the military and they just, they said, okay, you can, you know, put the team down for a year. The Cardinals and the, 
Uh, Steelers joined as one team for a year. This Eagles and the Steelers joined for a team for a year. I mean, it was just crazy. And then the next year after the Cleveland Rams, which most people don't even know, you know, <laughs> the team had even existed in Cleveland, moved out to L.A. after winning the NFL title. You know, it was it was yeah, just insane. such a slapdash kind of thing. And it really was that way until that uh, game at Yankee Stadium between the Colts and the Giants and the Giants being really good in the 50s uh, and being in New York. Hello? Yeah. OK. Really had a big uh, part of that because um, doing the, the we did the ESPN Pro Football Encyclopedia and uh, I, and before that I'd done total football. And we did. I've, I've probably did worked on. 10 or 12 different football books, all of which are, are, are just a lot of fun to do. But, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're alone on it because um, football, you know, the way most people look at it, it's about tele- watching it on television. It's about gambling, whether it's, you know, uh, the little, uh, you know, wink, wink uh, mm-hmm. pools that everyone has or fantasy football, which is, you know, just a wonderful way of organizing gambling. And plus they play once a week. So it's like built for that. And people like to go to the games and get hammered. It's like, it's like the perfect game for everybody that you couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't do that for baseball. I mean, I believe me, I've seen the people that can do it, that have done it, but um, it's just a, a, a different thing. And, you know, even you'll see, you know, once in a while there'll be a Super Bowl that's a repeat and even Len Berman, who probably is as big a history, football history buff as there is, that's you know has a, a major um, role in on ESPN or or you know whatever the you want to call the whole uh, you know uh, f- football thing. Even he'll say, "Wow, that was fifty years, forty years ago." So throw it out the window. Whereas in baseball, they just eat that stuff up. You know, uh, oh, yeah, it, no, there's a it, reverence for, for football. It's like, yeah, they played, you know, the Giants and Bears are playing this big playoff game. They played all these other playoff games, but that doesn't matter because it happened a while ago. You know, whereas in baseball, that's what gives it the context is that, uh, you know, that uh, that these teams have played before. And it's, well, to me, know, that's, it's that's what kind of connects everybody. I mean, look, when I was a kid, when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. You couldn't get me to talk to anyone over the age of, let's say, 30. I just, you know, I had no interest for anybody who, you know, in my head was, quote unquote, old. But if you found, you know, if there was an old timer, if there was a 60, 70, 80 year old man who could talk baseball with me, I would sit and listen to him talk for hours. It's something that I, I've always loved listening to. I, mean, I always just say that I was born in the wrong decade, that I should have been born in the early 1900s because I missed the days of being able to play hooky from school and go for a quarter or 50 cents or what have you and go to a day game, play hooky from school, go to a day game. I wanted to do that growing up so badly, but that just, unfortunately, I, I was born about 60 years too late for that type of uh, uh, frivolity. Well, to be honest, I think that's one of the attractions to the Cubs is the, is that whole thing. It's like when the Mets played there a few weeks ago, they had uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon games. And I've been to a couple Friday afternoon games at Wrigley and it is, you know, it, the world would have fewer problems if if every team had Friday afternoon games. You know, if the teams that have Saturday afternoon games had Friday afternoon games too, the world would just would would you know, there'd be a lot more kicked back people. You know, uh, you know, it's it's great. I, I did this book, Cubs by the Numbers, which actually <laughs> mostly deals with uniform numbers, but I dealt with these people 
who go to every single Cubs game. They don't go to like, you know, I go to 20. I'm like, wow, I should be getting a medal. They go to 80. <laughs> I went to a game at City Field uh, when it opened with with um, this guy, Al Yellen, who uh, wrote this little number on top of his scorecard, always keeps a scorecard at the game. And I'm like, what's that number? It's like a four-digit number. It's like, well, this is how many Cubs games I've been to. And the number below it was like 65, and that's how many games I've been to this year. And then, and then there's still like a month and a half of the season to go, and yeah. I'm just like, wow, I, 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 I kind of feel like I should just, I, I'm not worthy, you know. <laughs> and I started complaining about the Mets, and he just stopped me. And goes, listen, <laughs> I've been a fan since like 1959, and my team has never been in the World Series. And I'm like, okay, I'm now I'm definitely going to the bathroom, and I'm not coming back, you know. Well, you know, one of my favorite stories to tell, and hopefully, you know, I won't have to say it too many times in this podcast, but this will be the first time that I'll say it. So I am a Tigers fan. I mean, I'm uh, for this tour, I'm a baseball fan first, but I grew up a Tigers fan. And what I like to tell, especially my Met friends, is, look, in 2003, we lost 119 games. Uh, and, and, you know, we had to win the last couple of games there to not break the 62 Mets record of 120 losses. I remember watching those last couple of games at the edge of my seat and just cheering like crazy to not break 120. But then fast forward three years and I'm sitting at, you know, behind home plate next to my father at the world series. That was a three year span right there. That was probably the the craziest three years of my life. And so what I like to tell my Met fans or really any uh, fans is that, look, it can change on a dime. There's no reason to think that, that you're going to be horrible for, for 20 years. So don't ever feel too bad for yourselves. Yes, that is a, is a really good point. And Jesse Orozco, actually, uh, I th- believe his last pitch he ever threw was a wild pitch that uh, that kept the the, uh, the Tigers from uh, losing that 120. Yep. No, that was a, that was an unbelievably uh, blessed season for me, if you can say <laughs> that about a 119 loss season. But look, I also lived through the Owen Owen uh, 16 Lions, so they weren't as uh, as lucky to to trip and fall into a victory that season. But, but did you ever go to uh, get to go to Tiger Stadium? Oh yeah, I grew up going to Tiger oh, Stadium. Oh, that is great. Yeah, yeah, I grew up. That that was my home ballpark growing up. So that was one that I mean, the first game that I ever went to. I mean, this is I've talked to several Tigers fans to the point where I feel like this is just a shared experience that all of us have had. Is that I don't know how I don't know how it happened to all of us, but I do specifically remember the first game I ever went to. I did see Cecil Fielder hit about a 450 foot bomb, and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. I honestly felt like time stood still. I'd seen home runs hit on, you know, on television plenty of times, but mm-hmm. the first time I ever saw a major league home run, I, f- I was able to follow the ball off his bat into the stands, and it felt like time had slowed down for that couple of seconds. And from that moment, it was like heroin to me. That was it. Just it, I mean, I baseball has never left my system since. Well, I, I was actually in an old building – that was probably built in the twenties today and was going down a hallway where with white paint painted bricks and a little, um, uh, and it kind of was going up on an incline. And I, I was having a tiger stadium flashback. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All I needed was, uh, you know, they, uh, the, those old, the, the pizza guy that they, you know, they, they, yeah. the little Caesars the thing. Little, and, yep. <laughs> or when, when I went there, they would. They didn't allow you to sit, smoke in the seats, but you could smoke in these hallways. It was like, really? You, <laughs> it just made absolutely no sense. <laughs> but it was. Uh, but but, and I remember sitting. I got uh, to go there. Um, well, for four games, two to, in uh, I think '92 on that that tour I was telling you about. 
uh, for a doubleheader. And then in 99, we went for two games and got to sit in the front row of the upper deck, which was so close when there's a foul ball, I thought it was going to rip my face off. And I got to sit in the front row of the cash register uh, out in right field as well. That is awesome. Uh, which, which, which was great. That is very cool. Well, I, um, you know, I want to jump over real quick to uh, talk about your New York Mets. I, so that the New York Mets actually were officially my first stop on my 30 stadium tour. It was the subway series against the Yankees. And that was the game that the Mets uh, walked off on two to one at the bottom of the ninth. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I was just curious. So I would, uh, you know, you what you spent plenty of time at Shea. You plan you now spent plenty of time at City Field. What are the differences between kind of the experiences that you felt in both the ballpark? I know City Field is still young enough where you haven't been able to really create any type of history or any type of energy there. But what are the differences you've seen so far? Well, one of the things that I miss is that if you go to the is the upper deck and most of the decks is that you could walk from the the right field foul pole all the way to the left field foul pole and not miss a single pitch and watch the whole thing. And many times if I had like food and the game was going on, I, that is, and a lot of times I, I sat out uh, towards third base, I would go from right field all the way out there, just walking and, and, you know, blocking people's views. Sorry. But, but that was just a great way to see a game. And that's one thing I don't like about the new stadiums is you go up and then you go down. You can't do that. Yeah, you, and they they discourage certainly City Field. They discourage you from uh, looking at um, from sitting in other areas that are, you didn't buy tickets for. Even and this is the part that I've always been stunned by uh, seats that are far worse uh-huh. than the ones you own tickets for. It's like I want to sit in the upper. You don't have tickets for the upper deck. It's like I've got a hundred and twenty dollars seat here, and this one costs twelve. <laughs> you can't sit here. You don't have a ticket. You know. I remember the on my trip in '92 at Municipal Stadium, which was just stunning. It was just so massive and so empty all at the same time. That you know, and having watched so many football games from there, it was that that one still probably affected me more than any of them. It was just so, it was so symmetrical, so gigantic um, that that one is that. But getting back to to, to Shea. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of things I miss about it because I grew up there and spent a lot of time there. Was there for the '86 World Series. I went to. Um, I missed the last two games, uh, but I've been to every playoff game they played there from '88 until they closed, which doesn't seem like much, but being the Mets, but it was like 25 games, um, including the uh, you know the the Subway Series and the Subway Series watching the Yankees celebrate there and yelling at people the whole time. And it just was such a bad experience. I said, you know, I, I don't need to see this again. I've been to the, you know, I've been to the firing squad and I don't need to, you know, to, 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 to go again. And, uh, you know, if they play in the world series again, I will go, or maybe something else will be an offer too good to refuse, but it's been, what has it been? 13 years. And I have not been back and I've not been to the new Yankee stadium. And it was a little awkward when I was interviewing some of the Yankees um, for the Swinging 73 book, and they would ask me, well, you've been to the new Yankee Stadium, and I'd have to admit, no, I haven't, because uh, when I was a kid, um, the Yankees were so uh, popular that sure. I would um, be dra- be taking to games all the time because I was the, you know, yeah. uh, not to brag, I was the most knowledgeable kid on the on our little block when it came to baseball, and I wasn't going to ask to go home early or do anything besides watch the game. So the dads like to tell me, and I would fill in the dads and what was happening because 
you know, the Mets, it Mets took about a minute to tell you what was happening. Yeah. They stayed. The Yankees had, you know, they always had something going on. And, uh, you know, there wasn't, a, there weren't outside teams to follow really. So I knew everything that was going on with them as well. But, well, you know, I'll tell I, you, I, I was really looking. So my, my tour started with the Subway Series uh, yeah, yes, at City Field and Yankee Stadium. It was back-to-back game, games, uh, one game in each stadium. And what really fascinated me was that when I was at uh, uh, City Field, first of all, I actually ended up meeting several Yankee fans that were wearing Mets gear. This absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> they were Yankee fans, but they had Met hats on, which I was like, all right, that I was not expecting that at all. And at there Yankee was, Stadium. No, this is at City Field. At City Field. Yeah, at City Field. Yeah. When they I, don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, but I was really fascinated by, look, I'm I'm, I'm not going to be disrespectful to any of the stadiums that I'm going to, but I'll be damned if I'm going to take my Tigers hat off. My Tigers hat stays on my head no matter what ballpark I'm in. I don't know if you remember, they had that story a couple months back. Oh, I can't remember what stadium it was now. Uh, there was a stadium where there was a, a fan wearing a Dodgers hat and they were in the eye line. Uh, on TV, they were in the eye line of the I cameras. Think it was in Arizona. Was it in Arizona? Yeah, and they Arizona, had, yeah. and they had them actually take their Dodgers gear off. Which I'm sorry, especially if I'm paying what I'm, I'm only going to assume is several hundred dollar seats. No, I'm absolutely going to be representing my home team. Now, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be obnoxious. I'm not going to yell. I, I will be a respectful person. But at the end of the day. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm a Tigers fan. You're never going to see me with a White Sox hat on or a Twins hat or, 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 hell, a Yankees hat on. I'm never wearing a Yankees hat for as long as I live. Yeah, the uh, th- that is uh, interesting because we uh, I took a group of eight people when uh, the Mets and Yankees played their first game of the Subway Series in 1997 and took eight Mets fans and we we got uh, I I you know did the speed redial on my office phone and got seats, um, and we took eight people, but none of us wore the Met stuff because it was the first game. You didn't right. quite know what this was going to be like. Oh, you know, absolutely. And uh, it, it was you know I, to be honest, I don't think there's been another game that's been as as, as rewarding as these uh, the the first three games of the Subway Series were. I don't know that. Um, that there's been a more rewarding Mets Yankees game, including the walk-off games they've had or whatever. But but you know to go in there and to sort of own the stadium at the end and have a guy who was the equivalent of Dylan G pitch a shutout, um, you know was was one, and have guys on base every time. So you were always like, okay, now the Yankees are going to get a hit, and then this next <laughs> guy's going to double, and this guy's going to make an error. And yeah, you know, even last night's game when they are uh, the, when they had the big lead, I still had moments of real worry that I was like, okay, this is what happens with the Yankees. This happens, and then you know it, it, it's just like ingrained in your um, DNA uh, that that's going to happen. But I I uh, I I could not. My my son is named Ty, and. His um, they, they have a Tampa Yankees hat, which says tie on it. Mm. And I still have never bought it for it. <laughs> just because I'm like, I know it's not the major, good for but you. I, just, I just can't. No, can't. no good for you. I respect <laughs> that. I absolutely respect that. Well, I mean, talking about, uh, so how many, how many children do you have? I have two. Okay. I have a girl who's, uh, who actually, whose first game as a baby was the Mike Piazza uh, debut against um, Milwaukee in 1998. And my son, um, uh, he he actually got to go to opening day this year uh, when some other people couldn't go at the last minute, and we 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 got to go, which was a lot of fun. Wow! And we're going to the All Star game because um, we were lucky to get tickets for that. And you know, the last one they had, I at this point I'm kind of old, and they and it still have not had 
uh, game in my lifetime, uh, all-star game in my lifetime. So I figured, you know, the really? only thing, the only thing I will have missed at that point is a one game playoff, uh, that I have not seen. You know, I've seen the world series and the division series and the championship series. And, you know, I've seen every team play, um, in some way, shape or form, but I've never been to an all-star game. And I figure that's my, my shot in it. And, you know, the way that the things go, it might be my son's uh, shot as well. And, one more little stadium thing uh, with football. When I was going to Green Bay, maybe about it was about ten years ago, and my son was just born, and I saw how how expensive the tickets were to buy on the secondary market. There's no way of even getting you know thinking about getting one any other way. I uh, you could put um, uh, him somebody on the waiting list uh, right then, and I put him on. Um, that year and uh, we, we we do a little math every year and he you know he's nine now and he would be depending on the year somewhere around 80 when those tickets uh, might come up <laughs> <laughs> it goes it changes about 300 people a year and even then it's like what you you didn't leave them to somebody how irresponsible yeah it's hard for me to respect anything that goes on in that in that stadium just you know growing up a lions fan but that is one thing how they how they've managed that team and how they do the tickets that is that's a pretty unique thing i i do have to you know it's uh it's I, i'm saying this on record now but i do kind of respect the fact that that they are so serious about their season tickets and how no you got to pass it on to well, you got to pass it on to someone who cares <laughs> they were charging uh, you know uh to 10 times the face value for these tickets and it was lucky to get them you know, I was like, I can only imagine in, you know, 80 years, hey, then you might be able to beam over like, you know, it won't matter where you live. It'll be like Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, are, are, so I'm assuming then that you're, you know, as any good father would, you are passing on your baseball nerddom to your son and hopefully your daughter. Uh, yes. Well, it, the, we kind of have the unwritten rule that, you know, you don't have to like baseball, but if you do, it's just your best like you best be liking the Mets, you know. <laughs> When we, she hasn't, uh, I hope she's not listening, but uh, not old enough to date yet. But that's that'll be the first uh, question, you know, because I live a little bit upstate, so it's kind of 80 percent Yankees fans on any given day, and you know, the rest of it is like twelve percent Red Sox fans and maybe eight percent Mets fans, um, with maybe a percent thrown in that you know of of Tigers, White Sox, uh, rat, random fans of people that moved here. Well, you know, and, it's, uh, that's my my sister. God bless her. She. Uh, she married a man who I love and I and I adore him, but um, he's not—he's never seen a baseball game in his life, which you know that's fine. But now they live in Chicago, and you know they're probably going to be living there for for the foreseeable future. So uh, when when they have the first child, I've I've already let him know. Look, there's absolutely no way that you can let this child be a White Sox fan. I don't care if you live in Chicago for the rest of your life. You need to do your duty by me, your brother-in-law, and make sure that that is a Tigers fan because that's just not fair. You're not allowed to take my nephew and raise him in this city and not have him be a Tigers fan. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I've, I've always done when people have, uh, have kids is um... – and it's one of those things that tells you that the, the way the marketing goes is they have a, a bib for the Mets, yep. <laughs> and I would immediately send it. And as the years have gone on, like when my uh, kids had the bib, the bib went all the way down past their lap. Uh-huh. And as time's gone on, it's gotten shorter. The price has not gone down, but the, but the uh, the material on it has gone gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. Oh no, they've done a wonderful job. All the all the MLB teams have done an amazing job of merchandising the you know my first 
you know, Yankees onesie or future pitcher or future, you know, Mariano Rivera or future David Wright. They have all that merchandise that you can buy for, for infants or as soon as you're born. So, yeah, they've. Well, and one thing I want you to keep an eye out is to see, because when I first started going to games in the 70s, that was where you went for your out of the, the only place that other than. Um, when I went to Cooperstown for the first time in like 76, they had stuff from every team. It was like stumbling into merchandise heaven for baseball. Yeah. But, uh, in the years after that, like when the blue Jays and the Mariners came that's to, to get, um, blue Jays and Mariners hat, you had to go to Yankee stadium. And likewise, if I wanted to get a Cardinal hat or something like that, you had to go to Shea stadium and they sold all of that stuff at the souvenir stands. And now they don't sell anything. That is not the team that's there. Once in a while, you might see someone walking around with, you know, if they're playing the Tigers or they're playing the Twins or the, or the Red Sox or something. You might see uh, uh, another team, but that is one thing that one day I went to the stadium and it had completely changed. That it was like nothing. I think it was a Yankees game, and maybe a dozen or fifteen years ago, they had nothing that wasn't um, Yankees. Well, believe me, no, that is actually something. That is something that I was looking into. Uh, I, I've obviously part of this tour. I'm going and I'm and I'm buying a little tchotchke at each uh, at each place. You know, a little mini bat or ball or something from each stadium. And yeah, at, at all the stadiums, I'm asking them kind of something either unique to the stadium, but also something just representative of baseball. You know, maybe not specific to their city. And yeah, you're right. It's every single one of them. It's exclusively just their team's merchandise. I mean, for the Subway Series, they were selling the Subway Series baseballs, so they had some. Uh, you know, they had a Mets logo on it, but there's nothing really representative of anything save for that team. And this might not have been, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to see more as I continue uh, to the other 28 stadiums, but I think I was pretty much the only person in that entire stadium that did not have either Mets or Yankees gear on. I, I remember growing up, you know, going to stadiums, visiting ballparks around the country or for football or basketball or anything. And I would always wear back when I used to wear jerseys, you know, I used to wear my Detroit jerseys to another team's ballpark. I don't really see, even if we weren't playing them that day, I don't really see that at all anymore. I don't see kind of just the, I happen to be a an, an Orioles fan, but I'm going to be, what was like the Yankee fans that I met uh, yesterday, at, or not yesterday, a couple of days ago at City Field. I also met a couple of uh, uh, Red Sox fans who had Mets gear on. They were just, you know, they'd come and they'd bought a Met hat at the stadium, you know, they were Red Sox fans. They'd never cared about the Mets, but they figured if we're going to be at, at City Field, we should buy a Mets hat. But to me, that was kind of strange. Why not just wear your Red Sox hat? It's fine. Let's go. We're all baseball fans here. Well, I do have to admit, I do like, I, I actually have this um, little uh, ritual that was born of the Yankees getting knocked off by the Indians. Uh, well, you know, the, they were down two games to one. It looked like the Yankees were going to win. And shortly in the ninth inning, I said, okay, if the Indians can pull this out, when Christmas comes, I'm going to ask for something that has the Indians on it. So, <laughs> so, and so it's become a ritual that every year since then, um, whenever a team knocks out the Yankees, I, one of the Christmas gifts is from, is, is something about that team. Actually, you'll be happy about this. I have so much tiger stuff. Now I just get <laughs> golf balls because I've got the shirt. I've got shirts from of all kinds of different stuff. I don't actually have a, a tiger's hat, but I've got, uh, everything else. Plus I still have the stuff from, uh, you know, the baseball in the corner. So I actually do have a, a, a surprising amount of stuff from, from other teams. Um, 
that, uh, you know, that I'll just throw on every once in a while. But uh, you'll be surprised at how much Tiger stuff I have. But the predominant uh, amount of Mets st- stuff I have is still uh, is still Mets. And uh, even right now, uh, wearing a, a, a Mets hat as uh, as we speak that, you know, that, that you have to wear after they've uh, beaten the Yankees three no, times. Absolutely. Oh, it's no. happened, I believe, once. Well, I'm going to have to pick you up a, a, a nice Tiger's hat when I hit up uh, Comerica Park. <laughs> um, so I just had a couple more questions for you. Uh, First of all, I, unfortunately, I've already, I, I, City Field was already done for me, but I'm probably going to circle back around and hit it up again uh, at the end of my tour. So if there was something that you could have told me that there's just a unique experience at City Field that you need to have, there's something that, you know, whether it's a, a food that I need to have or a, or a part of the, of the stadium that I need to go to or just something unique and special about that stadium, what do you think that would be? Well, I have this... Um... Uh, steak sandwich that they started, uh, like one of these steak sandwiches from uh, uh, one of these restaurateurs uh, opened up a thing, I think last year. And I was like, you know, it's $15, like $15 for a steak sandwich. I have the first bite, like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd pay $20 <laughs> for this thing. That was really good. And Keith Hernandez has his own um, uh, hamburger stand, which when I was there last week, I had one, and that was very good. Um, but others, you know, stuff to do there. My, I, I have um, a son who's uh, been going there since it opened, and it opened. How old was he? Like five or six. So we go to the wiffle place where the wiffle ball is, which you, obviously yep. is mostly for kids. But they have it's like a free. It's actually a free area where um, they have wiffle ball. They have and they have like a dunk tank, and sometimes they have a thing where you throw the. Um, uh, well, they they, they, have, they have a batting cage too, and those are kind of fun that I haven't seen in a lot of other parks. But you know, I wouldn't call it unique. Um, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, I've probably been there. I've been to City Field like sixty-five or seventy times, something like that. And I'm still sort of feeling like I just, um, you, you know, am, am am finding stuff out and sitting in different areas and. Um, you know, it's so it's it's still a, a a learning experience. You know, go, going in front of the apple is always uh, you know something a lot of people do, and getting their picture taken there. All right, is, I will admit I did do that. I, I was a bit of a yeah, touristy there. One, I did. Here's do one that. I almost forgot was if you go in the parking lot, they have the the outline of the infield for Shea Stadium. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I did check that out as well. Okay, that that is that is unique. I've, I think they have a couple of other stadiums have that, but that is that is cool. You know, just to see that, like, wow, the mound and first base and third base line up perfectly, but it's that's 90 feet and this is 60. It's like, wow, they they knew what they were doing. (laughs) That is the one thing that blows my mind, because that's one of those things that I'm pretty sure that once those rules were set, that's never changed. And that to have the foresight to be able to to measure it that specifically where and when you think of how many bang bang plays there are, if that was just, you know, six inches eight inches, you know, longer or shorter, you know, you'd have guys getting thrown out by five feet or, you know, being safe by 10 feet. It's, it's unbelievable how just it, whoever, you know, came up with, I don't know, actually, do you know who came up with the dimensions of a, of a diamond? Well, there's a lot of different um, theories about it. It's actually one of the things I like about baseball is that there's like, it just kind of evolved through all this different stuff of trying to do it. I do know that the pitching mound itself changed right. uh, in like 1892 um, to, to, to where it is now and where it lines up perfectly. Um, but I think it, but I think it dates to the civil war or a little bit, uh, after, cause the first league, 
um, started in 1871. So it goes to about then. And I think ever since the first professional league, which was the National Association, and actually the Cubs and the Braves date from that first league, um, it's been 90 feet. But uh, it's been, you know, we did all this work with total baseball. But sometimes as you get older, you find this stuff, you knew rock bottom. You're like, huh, is that how it was? But uh, but I believe it's been 90 feet um, uh, for, uh, you know, essentially since Billy Yank and Johnny Reb were uh, were playing it in in camp during the Civil War. All right. And I'm going to end with this because basically, you know, the theme of this podcast for me and, and this whole tour for me, basically, and the rounding third podcast is is kind of my journey coming back home and, and, and rounding third base, heading for home and visiting all 30 stadiums and just really coming back to a safe place that, that I really love. And, and I'm trying to ask everybody that I talk to. Ultimately, I know it's a big question, but why baseball? You know, in your life, you know, you said you were growing up and you, you know, I know it was kind of the Mets choice was kind of just flip a coin but what is it about the game of baseball that just makes you you know go to city field 65 times spend i'm gonna go ahead and assume quite a lot of money over your lifetime on this one sport and time and energy and and just why baseball um you know it I used to be really into military stuff. I still am. Like I, I actually missed the ending of the Mets, uh, Yankees, the last inning of the of Monday's Mets Yankees game because my wife wanted to watch the end of a war movie, you know, the war marathon, and I was really into that. And it, it just kind of the the obsession I had with that, which was probably working towards something unhealthy, all went to that. And my parents, who didn't even like baseball, always took me. And uh, even though my my dad was not a baseball fan. And my mom was certainly not a baseball fan, but just to see how excited they were uh, that I was into that always made it seem like this was perfect for me. And uh, and I was a really, really bad baseball player when I started because I didn't start playing till I was 10. And, uh, you know, most kids my son's age, if you haven't already been playing, you're never going to play, you know. And uh, I know how hard I worked at it and you know, went to baseball camp and was throwing the ball against the wall. That it just seemed, you know, I just, you know, there weren't as many sports to do back then. And I think that was just the thing I latched onto. I think nowadays I might have even picked something else up. But uh, I just loved the way that it was. And it was so easy to, um, to, to, you know, to steep yourself in it. And, you know, all the players and, you know, you had so many players. It wasn't like five people. It was you know, a whole you know, platoon, so to speak, of, of players ready to go at any day. And any one of them could be a hero. You know, even the worst guy in the bullpen could come out and, and have a big game when, you know, game goes 15 innings and he throws five innings, which used to happen all the time back then. You know, they were, they were not worried about bitch counts. And uh, it was just kind of egalitarian. And I've always uh, loved it. And one last story that, that my um, my aunt uh, who was into baseball? I used to go to her house and spend a lot of time when my parents went away. She, I, I was, you know, I was get, when it got incensed about this play where the ball was foul and the guy went out there and grabbed it and it was far enough where it was the, the winning run was going to score and you should have let it drop. And she just looked at me and she's like, 
wow, you've learned a lot about this game, haven't you? And I was like, you know, I, I guess I have. And I have really just kind of taken it from there. And, um, you know, and I've been very lucky that I've been able to uh, follow, not only follow it closely um, and actually see a Mets World Series in my lifetime, which many Mets fans have not been able to do, um, that I've been able to work in it and have the good fortune of writing something or doing something baseball related every day uh, of the year, which is just wonderful. That is, that is amazing. Well, uh, I wanted to quickly give you a quick plug here. Uh, MetSilverman.com is where you can go to check out all the, uh, the books that Matt has uh, written. Uh, Is there anything specific that you wanted to plug? Well, we have Swing in 73, which um, in a ballpark uh, manner, uh, there's actually a good, uh, a good long chapter mostly about the closing of Yankee Stadium and sort of told from the retrospective uh, perspective now of what, uh, you know, it wasn't considered a big deal. But as soon as the new stadium opened, the guys who were, you know, that, that kind of hardcore fan, like I just described myself as, realized that something had been missing and um, how in the 70s and the 50s and the 60s before them, people wanted new stuff. They didn't really care about the old stuff. And, uh, you know, um, that that talking to people that uh, that for them it was. Uh, the end of something that they never would get back. Mike Francesa even talked about it uh, today on the radio with these people saying, you know, the new Yankee Stadium isn't the old Yankee Stadium. He's like, listen, the old Yankee Stadium isn't even the original Yankee Stadium. Uh-huh. You know, it was a different, uh, a different place. And even talking to some of the players, uh, Fritz Peterson was, um, who's known for for uh, some of the other things that he did. But he he was really broken up about the whole thing. Uh, and never like the new Yankee Stadium, even though he had the lowest ERA of anyone who ever pitched there, um, you know, uh, uh, for more than 100 innings or what have you. Yeah. And then uh, also uh, on your website, you've got uh, your blog. Uh, you want to just quickly describe what exactly uh, you, you post about? There? Well, I think pretty much whatever I, I uh, think of. I usually have a theme every year. And this year, uh, in honor of Swinging 73, which makes a great Father's Day uh, present, uh, present as well. I must put must jot in. Um, uh, and actually, uh, before I let you go, look at Oakland Coliseum because that's from '73, but it is not anything like the original one. If you talk to find an old timer and have them tell you what it is, and go behind the stadium, I was there last year, and look out at the hills and imagine the seat from the upper deck. Um, Nancy Finley, who worked there as a teenager, as Charlie Finley's cousin, and she would say, you know, she would just do her homework and look up every once in a while, and you just see those hills and you see the A's and their green uniforms. And it's just, uh, you know, you it really kind of put you back there, but that's what swinging 73. We've been highlighting uh, a couple times a week, something that happened 40 years ago today. And, uh, not just from baseball, but from all kinds of different things. And, uh, that's been a lot of, uh, fun to do and, uh, continuing, you know, time capsule for me. And I hope, um, other people give it a, give it a shot. And, um, it's a lot of fun, even if, you know, you weren't born until 1993, <laughs> uh, cause the game was so different and, um, 
really turned a corner there because at the time it was sort of losing to uh, football. Well, I mean, and, look, like we said, baseball, baseball is all about its history. So I don't care if you were born in 2003, anything that happened in 1880 is still interesting to you as far as baseball is concerned. So Swing in 73 is actually, I've gotten a chance to read uh, several chapters of it. I'm saving it for, for my tour, but it is a wonderfully written book and I do highly, highly recommend it. I'm going to have links to uh, metsilverman.com on the website and information about where you can get all of uh, uh, Matt's uh, wonderful books. Um, actually, real quick, sorry, I, I forgot. You had something to do with a book um, that I had looked at about the, was it an illustrated guide of uh, the, uh, the, the, the ballparks? Um, you mean uh, Big League Ballparks, the book? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, it was the Big League Ballparks, yes, the book. I, what was your, what did, uh, what, well, what did you Well, I actually that? did the, uh, um, uh, the database that was mostly the greatest games in the different stadiums and looked up thousands of games and came up with a list for each team and uh i think we spent about four years working on it and got a lot of the pictures it was done through barnes and noble and you can still uh you know it's it, i i it's probably i believe it's gone out of print at this point but you can still find it uh you know like you go to amazon from these sellers and it was it was a great uh book uh, i also um this guy mike gershman who wrote this book diamonds that um uh, another one of these available from these sellers that is mm -hmm. worth seeing. Um, actually, it was through that book and interviewing him when I worked in the newspaper that that uh, he called me up looking for someone to write some stuff for him based on the conversation we had about ballparks. And uh, so, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, ballparks, I, w I wouldn't be where I am today, wherever that is, you know. Uh, and uh, I r highly recommend that as as uh, as, as well. All right. Well, once again, thank you so much uh, for your time. And uh, hopefully the Mets pull it together this year. And I don't know if I, they're going to actually win the division, but maybe third place is something to be to, to strive for. It, uh, it, it's, it's something. It, we'll, we'll certainly take it at this point. Uh, when I was a kid, third place was, uh, you know, when, when the Mets went, went in the toilet. I dreamed of the days when they had been a third place team. <laughs> and we'll go to a game when we uh, get back. No, absolutely. I look well, forward to it. And you can uh, tell me, and I will be following you uh, as well. Thank you so much. And also, just to let my listeners know of how unbelievably gracious and amazing of a person Matt is, uh, when he found out that I was doing this tour, he uh, offered to send me some audiobooks, and I received a box of audiobooks to keep me sane and safe on the road. So he is a wonderful human being that's going to keep me alive for the next 95 days. So, I'll expect uh, too. Is that again? I'll spec book reports too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get back on that. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today and join me next time as I continue to round third, heading for home. Rounding third with Manish Jane.